my foundation of instructing is when someone asks why you need to have that answered for them. It's a respect. It's not a, it's nothing. It's the basis and foundation of a respect between an instructor or a mentor and people below them, whether you're a subordinate, whether you're a student, it doesn't matter. You need to have some of those answers. This job consists of every day, the most dangerous aspect that you could ever think of, which is life and death. But it dials way more back even further than that to the extent of legality. We have to be liable. So if you're going to be asking your people to go out, do something that puts their life, their family's life, their well-being, their financial, their retirement, we have you have to respect and be able to answer them to say, hey, if I'm going to ask you to go do that, you need to understand why. Hey, guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference, click the link, register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and we have with us one of our newest instructors, Chance Cooper, but he's been instructing for a while, and we're taking this opportunity to introduce Chance and the amazing training that he has. We're glad that he's on our team. It's a whole new dynamic, something we haven't gone down before. It is tactic training. It's very, very important. It's very good. He's one of the best in the business at it. So without further ado, thank you for being here today, my brother. And tell me about who you are, what you do, where you grew up, your whole bio. Well, that was quite the intro, man. I appreciate it. Chance Cooper, I've been a cop in the Kansas City Metro for a little over a decade. Uh, like I said, I just kind of tell people I've done a lot, seen a lot, been very blessed. And um, I shut my mouth pretty quick and learned to listen to a lot of mentors. And I was blessed to have a lot of people take me under their wing. And from there, uh, got to be a part of task force and teams and do some pretty pretty awesome stuff. Saw a lot of uh, a lot of my instructor stuff comes from things not to do. Saw a lot of that and kind of based a lot of my uh, my my foundation of instructing is when someone asks why you need to have that answered for them. It's a respect. It's not a. It's nothing. It, it's the basis and foundation of a respect between an instructor or a mentor and people below them. Whether you're a subordinate, whether you're a student, it doesn't matter. You need to have some of those answers. This job consists of every day the most dangerous aspect that you could ever think of, which is life and death. But it dials way more back even further than that to the extent of legality. We have to be liable. So if you're going to be asking your people to go out, do something that puts their life, their family's life, their well-being, their financial, their retirement, we ha- you have to respect and be able to answer them to say, hey, if I'm going to ask you to go do that, you need to understand why. Because if you can understand why and you build them, then you create better people around you. I learned that because I had people that didn't do that and kind of did the whole, well, we do it because we tell you to. And naturally I said, okay, but it never made sense. Then started being around more people that would explain why. And it just grew to realize that I've, I've got a capability of helping and reaching people uh, on a different level. And I, I love it. I love doing it, man. So vehicles became a big part of what I do. Uh, I seem to kind of get that niche, the task force I was involved in. We did a ton of vehicle work. We weren't getting a lot of, uh, due to liberal prosecutors and commanders and all this, that we weren't getting a lot of search warrants for residences. So we said, okay, well, Fourth Amendment is a little bit more laxed. We have a lot more leniency on vehicle application. So we started doing that, but we then found out we needed to adjust how we were doing it. We kind of went to the drawing board and said, let's dial this back a little bit. And we came up with a way that was very effective in not only catching bad guys, but also how to process evidence, how to work with people and how to help cases. Cause it does no good. I mean, it's fun and dandy. You know, whenever I was, I was blessed to be a cop when you, you could chase cars and yeah, that was fun, but it always seemed that the guys got, you know, people were out of jail before the pursuit was, you know, before your paperwork is even done. 
And then it got, I lived through the whole thing where you were catching more paper for discipline on car chases than you were, than bad guys were for breaking the law. So I said, okay, well, that's a problem. Let's come up with a better solution that's more effective. And we became more focused on how do we effectively make long-term cases more effective and build those. Therefore, it helped us out in the long run. So that's what a lot of this, uh, the foundation of this course is based on in um, a lot of my curriculum. So what happened that caused you to say, okay, we need to change this and make it better? <laughs> not naming agencies, not naming three-letter agencies, but I was probably three days on this task force as much as the FNG you could do. And we were a pretty high-tempo task force. We were, we had everything from high-risk fugitive apparition to apprehension to counterterrorism to drug uh, cartels. I mean, we kind of did it all. I was Like I said, it was just, I can't explain the magnitude of those men and women that I was blessed to be a part of and learn from. But very quickly with all of that, I said, there wasn't a way that I could learn. Like I'm sitting there watching saying, okay, how do we do this? And there was really wasn't a, well, we're going to do it this way. It was just, just figure it out. That's what I was told. So as I kind of went on, I let's figure out a better way of doing it. And we had some things kind of go south and things were justified, but there's just, is always a better way of doing it. And I kind of came up with in my mind a, a thing of just because you can doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you're able, you're legally able to do something doesn't mean that that's the best approach. So I kind of took that backseat of uh, just watching and learning. And then as my number got called more and more to be take leadership roles, to take uh, uh, a lot, you know, I'm naturally more of a tactician. So take more of that role. I started saying, okay, if this is going to be my steward and I'm going to send dudes men and women to do a dangerous job of this. We're going to do this a little bit better. And we did. So it just evolved into a very, very effective system. And I just call it a system. There's not really a way to do it. It's it's actually pretty simple. I've now taught this all over the country. And whether I've been on the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, the North, at the end of these things, it, the, the notion is we should have been doing this all along. It's like, because we all know it. We know the answer, just nobody's put it together. And so I feel bad that it's like, I get to do this I don't feel bad that I get to go and, you know, make money and, you know, do this as a business now. But at the end of the day, I'm not lose the fact that we're training people who go do this every single day and do a dangerous job. And we have the tools. Let's just figure out how to piece them and sew them together. I don't think the ask is a high one to get the training that people need, especially when considering most people spend forty to $100,000 on a college degree that's useless. I wouldn't, I don't feel guilty taking money because number one, I know that it's worth 10x the value that you're going to get in return. Uh, what it does for people is is profound. And you know you have to understand that your time is valuable as well. We spend a lot of time behind the scenes working on our programs. And you know nobody goes to work for free. And we spend a lot of time and pay a lot of emotional tax of the work that we're doing, put a lot of effort into putting this up. So I wouldn't feel guilty and I don't feel guilty. Uh, as a matter of fact, that there is a price to pay to come in and learn the skills that you're willing to teach. If the government cared enough, we could depend on them to fund us. But essentially, we don't have massive government contracts where they're covering the bill for all cops. It'd be a different story. So in order for us to get to more cops when it's broken down and you can understand that when we procure revenue, I can hire more people and put more content out. I can have more people on more platforms. I can have more reach. I can attract better instructors and bring these people to fruition. And most of it's actually not for me, like 95% of it's not beneficial to me personally for like my financial gain. I think people tend to begin to understand it. But of course, there's that judgment that we always, that we often fear any of us and we're receiving money for something that you would think would be a part of the curriculum of what you would learn as a police officer. But unfortunately it's not. So we have an option. We can either take money and give you what we got or, and it's not a lot of money, but, or we could just not do it. And you know, so there's this this burden of judgment, I think, that we all grow up with and, and experience as human beings that you have to just kind of shun off. And and the people who want a product like yours, and it's so important to them, they are not your non-believers. They're gladly ready to invest. And I say invest, not spend. Invest in their, for what you charge or what we charge, whatever it may be, the investment is well worth your life. There's no question about it. But 
you keep kind of beating around the bush a little bit. Let's get into like what tactics and things are you talking about? Because I don't want people to, they're probably sitting here going like, well, what does he fucking teach? So let's go into that a little bit. So anything in vehicles, when I say vehicles right now in my world, as far as vehicles in law enforcement, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of things. And it's so tactics, you ever want to get and see a weird world, get into the world of law enforcement, military tactics and the instructors, because everybody's got an opinion. You want to, I feel you want to go to the upper echelon of that, start including vehicles in it, because that's where everybody starts to have even more of an opinion because vehicles induce a greater variable, which is things rapidly evolve and change. You have outside influences that you can't, you can't adapt for. So um, what I'm talking about with this program is how to, is for patrol officers, part-time SWAT teams and such, people who would find themselves in some sort of a critical incident that involves vehicles, which is 99% of what we do. We respond, we drive, everything we do revolves around vehicles. And yet I call it the 225 bench press, the staple high critical vehicle operation that we should ace. Like there should be no question. It should be, everybody can do it is a, is a felony car stop. And yet there's so much that's missed on a felony car stop that when I've talked and traveled and seen like, why do we still do that? There's nothing more than just my policy says that we have to do it this way, or we do it because it's how we've always done it. And a case in point. So here's my awesome little, I couldn't show, I didn't know how to share my PowerPoints and stuff. Right. So case in point is going to be something like this. This is like a normal, a normal yeah, I know this is going to be memefied, right? But well, you're gonna to have to try to explain it too, because I think people are listening to this as they're driving. So sure. there's three what cars, three police cars behind a suspect suspect vehicle lined up, essentially. Been a part of hundreds, if not probably thousands of these, where you have a suspect vehicle and then you have three police cars behind it because on a normal pursuit, you have a primary, secondary vehicle, and then you have the support elements. K9, other officers, everybody wanna gets in on it because it's a lot of fun. Well, the problem is is that the if you go to basic SWAT school 101, or if you go to any sort of a hey, we have shots fired at this thing, the first thing they're going to tell you is that you got to contain. And yet, I've been on I don't even know how many felony car stops where what they're looking at is there's a there's at least one car length between your vehicle and the suspect vehicle. And the problem is is that that's how we're teaching it, and yet we are not addressing that. Whenever this happens, people bail out and run out. And so you now you have a crime scene because the car is a crime scene. You have an unknown suspect who's ran one way, possibly another suspect who's run another way. So in essence, because of how we're teaching this, we've created a bigger problem for the public because now you're chasing them either through crowded streets, through uh, commercial. Um, I've chased people into stores before because they've ran into stores. So now you're creating a better, a bigger public risk because we don't want to address the writing on the wall, which is our primary thing that we should be teaching, whether and you should be day one on the street, uh, day one out of the academy is if you're doing this, you have to contain them inside of the vehicle. You have to do that. And the reason why is because you keep them there. You want to contain the problem to the smallest amount of space. So that way you can control it. So I don't understand why that's missed, but that's essentially the foundational of what we're going to address is saying, hey, everybody has seen this because we've all been a part of this, but we all know that there's other things, that there's tons of stuff wrong with it. I mean, we could nail down the the whole thing that there's wrong with it, but yet we don't address, okay, well, then what's the solution? And the solution uh, we came up with was what you're looking at here is the same thing, but what's called a peace sign or whatever, where you have the outside vehicles pinning the vehicle. Now, they're not making positive contact because I know commanders who are watching this or listening are going to be throwing the fits because it's like, well, you, there's literally policies out there that any sort of touching I'm kissing, I'm, Dennis, I'm talking kissing like that. And their policy is considered lethal, lethal force. And those officers are then disciplined for lethal, for potential lethal force. I've read the policies and any contact with a police vehicle with another suspect's vehicle is considered lethal force. So Whoa. people think that they don't Where is do that control. dude. Uh, I can't. What I'm state? Indiana. Indiana's on. one. Indiana's oh, one. Wow. But so here's what. So when I was talking to those guys about this, I'm saying, well, then why do you have to 
touch the vehicle. Yeah, we did, but we had big bumpers and, you know, reinforced stuff like that. But why not just get close enough that you can then make them second guess getting out and running vehicles? Or if they do, they start, if they start ramming your cars and stuff, they've already initiated that. So therefore problem solved. And so when we're talking foundational vehicle, vehicle tactics, it's going to be going over addressing. So like my lecture is foundational. Hey, here's the foundation. If we've got to contain first, contain them there. And I've heard things like, well, you're so close and then you're going to get in a shootout. And I'm like, well, our basic qualification and our basic interaction with suspects are two, two feet away. Therefore, we practice and qualify two to three feet away on a draw because that's what we are trained to do. Street cops, I mean, B cops on the East Coast, we didn't have to do, we don't have um, the streets like you guys do. Like you guys have a beat that you walk and stuff like that a lot on the East Coast. We don't. But yet you qualify at that. So therefore, we should be expected to be able to take high percentage shots at that distance also, because you're looking at two to four to five yards. And so there's a lot of excuses we have when we start introducing things like this to commanders and people when they say, hey, well, we can't do that because we don't know how. So I'm like, OK, let's let's teach you how. Let's apply some basic principles, go for movements, go for this is where we need to go, because there's a lot of dude, there's so much out there like immediately fighting to the back of the vehicle. Well, we saw that, but the problem is, is that when you have a lot of ambient noise in an urban city, you can't give commands because there's so much going around. They can't hear you. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we address that? So we came up with something called three principles of control, which is going to be primarily dominating the dominating that space first, whatever space you're in, you dominate that with, um, with your gear, with your pre-planning, um, with a lot of different stuff, you dominate the assess, and then you fix your problem. So, and I know I'm speaking, uh, I'm not sure if I'm uh, kind of going down the, the road that you're wanting to on all of this, but those are the That's right. You're good. As far as what this course does. You're good. That's, you're good. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of vehicle stuff. And the vehicle thing is not just fighting. There's a, there's a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of courses I attended that focused on kind of the fighting around vehicle. And the problem is, is that when you're conducting these felony car stops, you're not fighting yet. You're conducting an operation the same way that you would you're conducting an arrest. You're conducting a, an intent, potentially a high-risk investigation. You're not fighting yet. So if you treat it as such, you've set yourself up that now you have to retake ground because you may not be at that level of force yet. Remember, everything we do has to be on a use of force continuum. We match their force. So it's dispelling that rumor of like every time you're doing this, you're fighting around a vehicle. No, how about we teach them how to fight around a vehicle if you need to fight? But a lot of that is pre-planning yourself, how to set yourself up for success. So that way, when it comes, you're already, you've, you've stacked the odds in your favor. And a good example I give is why do we sit in the back of a restaurant with our back to, with a, why do we face a, um, the door? Why do we sit there and face the door? Because we want to see what's happening in front of us and eliminate what's behind us. It's the same thing. We're pre-planning because you can't, you can't counter an ambush. That's that's a big thing that kind of goes around the vehicle world, Dennis, is countering an ambush and not diving into the weeds on that. But it's hard to counter a sucker punch if I know that if I don't have eyes in the back of my head and I don't know what's coming. That's the reason why I which move is because they know that I'm at my least and my most vulnerable. So my question is to law enforcement is like, why do we set ourselves up to be the most vulnerable, which I'm showing in the pictures, guys? those who are listening, I'm showing the picture of the bad way of conducting a car stop. Why do we set ourselves up for failure to already stack our complex problems that we have to deal with? Why not start eliminating a lot of those problems? And that's what we show is how to do that. And it's some principles to do that, that you don't even have to, it's not like a big policy change in your agency. You can just start doing them. You're covered in case law because you're still covered under the same use of force that we are normally. You're covered under, you should be covered under most policies because you're conducting this in a way that is modifying the normal way of doing it, just stacking things in your favor. And um, so on the broad spectrum of capabilities, it's enabling the normal patrol officer or part-time SWAT officer or wherever you're going to find yourself to handle a little bit more of these critical incidents that we find. And talking with some of the street cop guys, I mean, and that's a great example is like, you are great at proactive policing now. 
You've got guys that are trafficking drugs. They have high risk. They've got warrants. They know their heads on a swivel. They already know that they're looking for us. But now what are you going to do once they either they run, they chase you chase them? What are you going to do? Well, you're in a vehicle. So let's figure out how to stack the odds in your favor. And so you shouldn't be thinking about it. It should be instinctual. This is already in place because I need to be focusing on what the threat is doing so I can address that, not the bullshit that is, how do I do this now? Because I don't want to be in charge. I don't want to get in trouble. What are the biggest mistakes or mistake that you see people making that maybe it's a piece of advice for people that if they hear it, they can acknowledge it and maybe rectify it and it might save some lives today. So what is, what is that? I know we're talking about some mistakes, but maybe there's one or two or three things that you could tell people like right now, stop doing this, start doing this, and you're going to see a big change in in the likelihood of you increasing the odds of surviving a situation that that I discuss. Get more confident in your fitness, get more confidence in your shooting, get more confidence in your in yourself, like take care of yourself mentally. It's the best thing that I could tell you, Dennis, my intro, I have almost probably 30 minutes talking about mental preparedness. Um, I, you're, you're proactive. That's actually what my first introduction was your proactive policing class. Um, because it, it opened my mind that like, I have to prepare myself mentally for what's going on. And so from that, I talk about go mentally prepare yourself for things that what you can do. One of our greatest assets we had on our task force is we knew going into it our investigation, we stacked things in our favor because we knew we wanted to worry about, you. we wanted to have all of the things available to us that we could rely on to pick whatever we needed in front of us to use. Like you pick your tool, a good a good mechanic, a good, uh, somebody who works with their hands and works, they have all these tools that they can draw from and, and use it to what's in front of them. It's being well-rounded, right? And part of that is becoming physically fit, being absolutely effective with your weapon and uh, with whatever weapon system you have and being mentally capable of what you're doing. Because there, I could imagine nothing worse, because I saw this a, a lot, doing something and then not understanding why you did it. And then in this environment we're in, getting called to question and not being able to articulate why you did something. Because you were seeing black, like you were just completely tunnel vision, or you were in some way just not prepared for it. And yet what we were, what I'm finding people are not prepared for are simple things that are calls for service. It's almost like we've given up keeping ourselves mentally prepared for things. So that way, when they're still going to happen, we're not ready for it. So that's first thing is prepare yourself medically, mentally, physically, and your, your capabilities. Uh, the next thing is going to be Man, because a lot of that encompasses, man, I see some stupid stuff like fingers on the trigger. I see a lot of um, the other thing is stop making our own problems. God, I see that a lot of the when we run through a lot of these scenarios, the problems that we run into cops create themselves. Because we don't know how to simplify or problem solved prior to whatever we're doing. So we induce the complexity. And you and I talked about this. I'm at, so when you and I just had this conversation about content, about walking through some of the things of like, hey, do this, this, this is what they did well, this is what they didn't do well. I've been doing that. And what I'm seeing consistently, consistently is we create a lot of our own problems because the suspect can do whatever they want. We have to adjust our tactics, our approach, off of policy, the constitution, and our moral, our moral and physical capabilities. And if we're not prepared mentally, physically, and what are with our capabilities, then we will create those problems. So I know it's like, man, I wish, what can we start soon? It's like, if you can do that, there's a lot of this common sense stuff that will just say, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Um, as far as a tactic, man, stop pointing guns at cops. We see, I see that all the time. We we get so comfortable and complacent about pointing guns at cops, and um, it's become my pet peeve that in my classes I'll give people about two warnings until I start saying, "Okay, um, this is a problem that you can't address and identify that you are now consistently pointing your weapon at a friendly target, and that's a liability." So stop pointing your gun at other cops. Everything I see in law enforcement, and I think I see in just every profession, when somebody 
I'll, I'll try to elaborate on this a little bit. When somebody does something that is not correct, it all comes back down to one overall thing that's a lack of training. So a couple of days ago, a guy I know, it's actually a pretty famous guy in the police world, was like, hey, I want to run something past you. What do you think? And I said, okay, so as we unpack this thing, let me just also defend this cop. Because there is a very, very different thing between a person who is malicious, knew what was right and what was wrong, and chose to do the wrong thing, and somebody who goes out and tries to do the right thing, but was never taught what the right thing is and is doing their best, given what they have been offered and received from a training perspective. So essentially, it was like, hey, was this allowed under the Fourth Amendment? And the answer is, well, I don't know. I have to ask more questions. But again, it sounds like we have a lot of judgment going on in this person. But the question I have for you is, did he know right and wrong? And the answer is probably not, because he got the same training you and I got. We got sent out into this world to make decisions without knowing any of the rules of how this game is played. It's it's so flabbergasting. I was just explaining this to a um, a reporter yesterday who wants to do an interview and they're on our side. And I'm like telling her, I'm like, hey, you realize that we've been given nothing. And I say it to my detriment, but we've given nothing and we or we're expected now to do this job. We're given no direction at all. So like, what do you mean? I'm like, go to academies and don't learn a thing. And the academies know it. They don't, they just don't, they they know it. Every whether they want to admit it or not, 93% of these academies know that they literally send these men and women off with nothing. Because for 10 years before they became instructors, what were they doing? The second they get somebody in their car, what would they say? They forget everything you just learned in the academy. And then they get assigned to the academy and they're saying, hey, now uh, now we got this. It is heartwarming to see today's generation of police officers, the newer generation, actually putting a little more thought, taking some advice from us and all of our instructors here collectively and starting to implement some of this stuff as extracurricular activity in these academies. So that that's a relief in some sense. But we, we got a long ways to go here. But again, it's the same thing. You see these bad habits because we just go back to where they were trained and you can see where these bad habits grew. You know, I, dude, I could tell you that there was a significant difference between the person who graduated. And I got to give a little credit where credit's due. I've said this before. Somebody who probably left the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, although I'm not saying federal jobs are great, the training center is a cut above everybody else by far versus the guys and girls that I graduated with from my third academy at a local county academy. And like what the equipment we had was garbage. We had nothing. They most kept, we had wooden red guns because they couldn't afford to give us the actual red guns, like the ones that like, you know, are professionally made. So we carried around these wooden cutouts that were spray painted. And that was our fake guns. It had a little hole in the middle. Like, like look, it looked like a boomerang. <laughs> that's how we practice. That's, so that's the real life that we felt. And I don't know if there was, dude, we were doing, check this out. We were doing building clearing in the gym. We took like gym mats and set them up. I remember walking, I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah, and they made gym mats. They made like obstacle courses with gym mats. And like half of them were falling over. And I'm like, this is, you guys couldn't get creative enough to find us a place to do this for the one day out of the six months that we're here. We can go to like a, like a building and do this, like, a, like, like an office space that's available in the whole county. Mm-hmm. Dude, it was like, nothing was realistic. I remember one day we had the, like, they brought the, like the helicopter in and like, we had to go look at the helicopter. I'm like, are we on a class trip? <laughs> you know, like, 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 you know what I mean? Like they brought it, they brought the state police helicopter in, which was great. Right. I get like, cause for us, we didn't give a shit. Just like, yo, we don't have the PT right now. We're not getting screamed at. Like, I'm like, who gives a shit what we're doing? And I just to myself, like, wh- why is everything that we're doing here like a class trip? We were like doing like demonstrations for uh, kids as recruits. We were like crossing children. Like, what are we? What are we? Do Dude, we had to so check this out. Here's, here's another one we did. They didn't have real life courses. Now I'll give the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center again another credit. They have a lot of resources. So what we did was, this is my third academy. To learn traffic direction, they taped off a certain, they took the gym, they taped off the gym. Or they'd be like, ba- like pretend barriers. And so you'd, have, you'd stand out in the middle of the gymnasium and people would put their hands up like this. Like imagine if you're not watching this video, um, palms up. And if you went like this, that's your right blinker. And if you went like this, like a wave like you do to kids, that's your left blinker. So you'd stand in the middle and your friends would walk through these mock streets that they taped. Like they made just tape. Like, you know, like they just made tape grid on the on the gymnasium floor. And you'd walk over and they were showing you how to like, 
like blow the whistle and like point them that way. And that's how we learned how to do traffic control. Your friend would walk up and like do a right signal or a left signal up to the recruit. What he wanted to dude. our, our, like our evasive driving was in like a parking lot. Like they set up cones and like, we literally. Why couldn't they have used real cars in the parking lot to do blinkers and such? Dude, you, you, right. Could you imagine like you couldn't find a, just a big empty space and you could have just had cars like cone that up. Dude, our, our like purse, we didn't have pursuit driving. They had like, I don't know, they call it like something cross or something. Like, I don't know what it was. Going from the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, where I gave them credit again, pursuit driving there is fantastic. I mean, like, they do, really, awesome. they do, a, yeah, they do a really nice job there. It's really, really well thought out. They have the resources again. But this is the problem is like nobody's willing to pull their resources together and create one great place to train. Everybody's got to have their little piece of the pie and say so they did it. And the detriment is, is people lose their lives. They have untrained police officers. But did this academy, they had... Like just cones set up in a parking lot at a college. And it wasn't like a big lot. And dude, like the fastest you can get the cars up to like maybe like 40 miles an hour. And then you had like hit the brakes and stop. So what's the re- the re- the real, you know, the reality of that being your thing? It's just like, dude, we were doing like these, like, dude, the federal one was so good. They taught you like how to like drive an actual obstacle course and like where the front nose of your car is, as long as you're clear on that, this side will be clear. There's so much good shit we learned. You go to this place, and I'm like, this is your, this is your, this is what you got, how you guys are training in a parking lot. Like, this is what we're getting for pursuit. You want us to get in these cars and do 125 mile an hour to pursuits, but we have no training on it at all. I still, to this day, um, the Kansas City Regional Training Academy's um, EVOC course was the best part of that, was the best part of that academy. I, to this day, rely on lessons that I re- like I re- that was over 10 years ago and I still rely on those lessons I learned and I haven't been able to go to high speed evoc training ever since then but they went and they trained regularly out there at Fletzy and like just to show your experience is this weird can you imagine the legit like they think they're legit it's like you showing them they're giving you and you guys are like we have to do what wow it's hot like this baby high thing like this clappy thing right yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I remember, like, I like, I just can't emphasize it. Like, I use it to this day. Rely on those lessons and principles that I over ten years ago. That's how influential and important it was in my in my day to day stuff today. And that, like, just to show checkbox training, legitimate training, where and how and how it pays off, just is a perfect example of right there, right there. I'm but, actually gonna I'm actually gonna do a a meme or. Uh, like a slide deck on three ways to drive better that people never taught you as a cop. So I'll give people a few ones that I, here's some great ones that I learned at the, at the Academy. And I'll give you one extra one that somebody taught me when I was working uh, in, in Washington, DC. Maybe we'll start with that one first. When you are in traffic as a police officer, you always want to leave enough distance in front of you to be able to get the hell out of Dodge as fast as possible. Even when I'm driving my personal vehicles, I try to keep about, you know, six to eight feet in traffic in front of me in case some shit hits the fan. I got to take off like I'm trying to get maybe somebody's trying to carjack me or something like that. So you got to think about that. But here's some really good principles. One thing that I noticed people weren't doing when I was in pursuits with them is they don't use the entire road. So you don't realize you've got you guys are seeing that line. You're supposed to be on the one side, but two, three in the morning and nobody else is on the road and you're in a pursuit. You can use the whole road. You're going to be okay. You'll be able to adjust over. Right. But like you got to understand physics and science. So if you're trying to stay in your like on a, you know, on a one lane traffic back and forth, like you can cross over and employ the whole road and have a significant advantage in a pursuit or driving fast without putting yourself in harm's way. You're not breaking the law. We are in a pursuit or an emergency situation. That's one I don't see, dude. I don't see people using the entire roadway. I still do it my own cars when I go a little fast. You know what I mean? Like, Especially at night, I live in the country a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm, you I'm in like, farm. Dude. you gotta get those reps in. Yeah. Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going on every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. Here's another one. You don't accelerate until your car is reset. So you don't accelerate when you're like going or off on an off ramp. You don't want to be hitting the gas. You want to coast. You want to get the gas real hard. Hit the brake, right? You're going to slam the brake, decrease speed a little bit, and then coast it around until your car starts to, it's called two and through. That's what they call it, the academy. 
So once you start getting around it, then you start beginning to accelerate again. So it's two and three. So you coast through your turns. So you're supposed to go really hard, really fast, slam the brakes hard, coast through your turn, and hit the gas again and take off. You don't want to be accelerating or braking on a turn. Just let the vehicle do the work. And, dude, people will shit their pants in my cars. Like, you don't realize the capability of these police cars or any car in general, how much more capable they are when a person who is driving it is capable. Mm-hmm. So the reason that a lot of these pursuits, these guys roll cars or wipe out or whatever it may be is because they don't know how to drive it. Dude, people, I mean, well, I caught a lot of people on a Crown Vic, which is pretty much a miracle. The Crown Vic, albeit started and the air condition always worked and it ran, then it was a fucking workhorse. It was a mule. It was a fucking elephant. It was the slowest shit. And if you knew how to manipulate that car, you knew that you could not come back out of second gear. If you could keep that car in second gear and above, I think it's four or five gears. Yeah. You could probably win a pursuit, but if, if if you were keep coming back down in the first, first took forever to get out of. So as long as you had it about, you know, 40, 45, you could kept it, if you were in a pursuit and keep it above 45 to 50, you could probably win. Once you drop below that and you have to get back into first gear, those cars were just dogs. They could not, they had no acceleration to them. Good top end, decent to keeping up on the highways, but so... You know, I would, I would be in pursuits as the partner in a car. And I'm like, dude, you know anything about driving, you know? Yeah. So the car has so much more ability than you think it does. It's just that people don't know how to drive them. No, no, they don't. And they, and yet they're expected to, but yet they're not given the training. They're not given anything. But, hey, at the same time, go figure it out. And it's all on you if, if something goes wrong. It's it's wild, dude. And then they're actually doing – I remember we were – my old agency, these – and none of these people are there anymore, but this is this was their solution. If you crashed a car, you would get like a verbal. The next one was a reprimand. And the, and the third one was you would go drive the, a simulator at the county college that they, that they run kids through to learn how to like practice your driving. Go sit in a simulator. It wasn't like a pursuit simulator. It was like a joke. Yeah. And so people actually came back and were like, it was actually like a video game. It was kind of fun. I'm like, man, maybe I should go. And, but only if you got in trouble could you go drive the simulator. We didn't afford the opportunity to go train in the simulator. Only if you crashed three times did you get an opportunity to go sit in the simulator and try to get your skills up challenge accepted <laughs> yeah and like dude it was just it was just like everything was done so stupid just so ass backwards and people are listening to this going yeah it's how it is still I, we know you know and we cannot wait for them to make the change we know yeah that's exactly why we're trying to do this that's why i was thrilled i was like yeah absolutely one of the biggest platforms for law enforcement training 100 i want to be a part of that not only have i experienced a lot of the just like the people that you stack the deck with, I'm like, man, I'm learning from them. And I talk to Josh, Josh and I talk all the time about stuff because he's, I talk to him. I've learned more from him about canine stuff that I'm like, dude, I wish I would have known this 10 years ago, but at the same time, like he and I've talked and they've now implemented changes with all the view, how they employ and change their vehicle tactic stuff. Because that's another thing that people don't do is how to properly implement tool like i say remember how i was saying like the whole tools if you can have tools if you can implement canine that right there solves most of your problems with containment because you could offer no nothing better to a canine of saying hey we have this there's a guy right there that you see dead end because of how we position he couldn't get out quick enough so we've got the jump on him go let your dog bite him yeah they're gonna be absolutely but it's getting that there it's how 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 you get that there is is what seems to be kind of what the problems missed and so yeah it's like people still do all that stuff but there's there's answers out there rather than just the checkbox training that you need for block training or whatever they're going to be and i i can't even tell you how much money i have spent on my own accord for better i mean i've bettered my resume is how i describe it now but at the time i was just bettering myself and my squad because i was saying hey if we're going to do this job and they're going to keep tying our hands on this that's fine but I'm not taking that as a sit down and take my ball and go home. No, I want to do this. And there's a way of doing this that makes it success. We could still do this and be successful. Because that's how it's always been. I mean, I've only been a cop for 10 years. But there's always, it's very rarely do things lax. It's always going to be our blinders get more and more and more narrow that this is where we have to operate from is what is um, people who are listening. It's like the horse blinders, you're rotating your head. Actually, I think I got this from 
like I'm not doing like a weird like plug or anything like that, Dennis. I'm being a hundred percent serious. I think I got this. Like I remember taking this from you on bad guys can do whatever they want. They don't have the constitution. They don't have any rules or regulate. They have nothing. They can do whatever they want. Our job as patrol cops were to look and find whether you want dope, whether you want uh, DUIs, whether you want warrants. You find what it is and learn their patterns of behavior. And basically, when you get in your patrol car, you are looking for that. And this is the realm of policy and constitution allows you, here's my lanes that I can go hunt. And when you get good at it, you start sniffing around and stuff starts drawing your attention and you're zeroing in on it and become smarter. So the limitate you're taking, yeah, okay, I can't control those limitations. I'm a patrol officer. I'm not going to be able to influence a captain or a chief, no matter how, and we know crazy and stupid they are. But it's like, what am I going to do? I can sit here and complain about it. I can do nothing. Or I can educate myself and be a good person and a good leader and go change myself and then influence others to be more positive. Something I was always told is that I'm obnoxiously optimistic. The agency, my last agency that I was with, there was plenty of toxicity to go around. And I just got tired of feeling kind of like, woe is me. It's like, guys, we still have a, a job to do and we can still go do it. And it was awesome. We were we were successful in what we were doing and uh, we, we made the most of it. To the point, Dennis, the sheriff said no pursuits, even if you watch a homicide happen. Wow. You watch the homicide, the guy takes off, you cannot pursue him in any way, shape, or form. You should go handle that. And we're like, well, wait a minute. What if there's enough people to handle this and we can still go catch him? Absolutely not. So we had the thing of like, okay, are we going to risk discipline to go stop a homicide suspect? Or are we going to sit and complain? You know, what, and we all had the notion of like, no, we're still going to go do it. And because the public expects it and our moral code is fine, fire us. You're going to fire us for catching a bad guy, for catching a homicide. So, but that's what we were dealing with as far as policy. And we said, that's fine. If those are your limitations, hold my beer. We're going to find a way of doing this. So it's like the conversation. And I, I've told a story in the past, but I'm not going to go into it now. But when these agencies cheap out and get the cars that don't go fast, they don't perform well. And people will say, well, we don't have a pursuit policy anyway. And I say to them, that's fine. You may not have, you may have a zero tolerance pursuit policy, but I promise you at some point there's going to be a pursuit. You're going to have to be able to try to catch people and you won't be able to, you have no capability. So you'll have a zero pursuit policy until a kid gets kidnapped or a cop gets shot in the head and you've got the suspect in front of you. And you can't catch them because some administrator made a decision to not get the faster cars. And I, there's a one episode of the first 48, and I think it was at a Tulsa. And I don't mean to talk shit about Tulsa, but there was this woman who was on the run for homicides. They actually caught her with a gun. She's a young girl, too. I think they got in like three or four pursuits with her, but they were driving like Ford Focuses as, as like detective cars. Like some bullshit Ford. Like not the Tauruses that were fast. It was like the lower model ones, the ones that were like, you know, Whatever the fuck they have. And and they couldn't catch her. They just, they, this, whatever she was in was continued to outperform this murder suspect. And I think she committed another homicide in the interim. So when you make decisions to not have the equipment, they don't have to use it, but at least not have the equipment or, or not equip these police officers appropriately, these are the consequences that society must pay. And, and, and the crazy shit is what drives me the most insane is there's no accountability at the top level for that decision being made. Oh, dude. Keep going. Keep going. I'm, I'm hang on. I, just so that, you know, this is what I wanted to address is exactly what you just said. As I'm writing consequences at the top, I'm taking notes. Keep going. on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the conversation. You, you know, you want to get these, you want to cheap out and get this garbage. You're going to pay for it. And, and unfortunately you're, you're giving these men and women a impossible job when you're not equipping them appropriately to try to achieve something that you can't get done unless they have the right equipment. Like I said, the whole dominate thing, um, that whole principle of dominating is that you have to be equipped with the proper equipment, the proper training, and the proper mental, uh, your mental abilities. If you can't do that, there's no way that you're gonna win a fight. And we're talking life or death. And not just physical life, like dying and deceased. I'm talking liability of your family. Because if you make a, I mean, think about the uh, a great part I bring up is uh, the officers in Minneapolis. 
they weren't the ones, you know, and kneeling on George Floyd's neck or anything, but yet they are now criminally liable because they were influenced by what was happening and they didn't know the, cause you've not been there would be like, Hey man, I got this. I got this. Or, Hey, I, I want to do something. I like you, you kind of step in and reject yourself I'm not being a dickhead, but you just, you know, that you have that capability. And so, yeah, if, if you don't equip your people, it's like, how do you expect them to go do the job? Like, well, look, we, look at the consequences of not training. Yeah, look at the consequences of not training. I, people just think the consequences are dire. I mean, they literally burnt down. People don't show this on the news. They burnt down half of Minneapolis, dude. It looked like fucking Iraq. I was there not too long after the, all the riots subsided. It looked like like Baghdad, dude. It was fucking nuts. They I destroyed uh, the place. I was, uh, I was doing some stuff with uh, some of the SWAT guys that were actually stationed out of that precinct that got raided. And they were being, what they reported were they were told to leave and they're like no we are not leaving and basically commit like you know given that a command of like no you guys are leaving and it's like wait a minute so you're giving up and they were saying like all of our stuff were in there all the files of our families all there's things in there that people should not have we have to protect this sensitive site there's a lot of sensitive information in there and they were like nope it's like are you kidding me because cowards but you know, well, you know, it's crazy. Even you think they didn't get enough pain at Minneapolis. So they can't get anybody to work there. But now they just I just read something like last week or the week before that they're getting even more harsh on police officers. there. like they're they're cracking down on more cops. There, you can't get anybody to work there. You're offering quarter million dollar your salaries. You're lucky you got anybody else staying there. They're probably only staying there because they're making so much goddamn money. Yeah. And now they just employed more policies on the police. You're you're just going to continue to pay for this. And this is what happens when you elect complete idiots. I mean, morons at the highest level who have no business running. They couldn't run a Burger King, which is self-sufficient. Nonetheless, a city of making decisions. Uh, it's like literally watching the clown show. It's, uh, it's, it's frightening. Government is very, very frightening when you have people who are complete morons and they're in charge. Very, very terrible. It's very scary. So two things um this actually will go back to one of your first questions at the beginning of like what's one thing i see that i wish i could change and it goes into also with what we're talking about here your light on your weapons i'm a big fan of patrol rifles um i'm a big fan big big fan of of patrol rifles for patrol cops if if they're competent and they and they understand the importance of it but in that uh need proper lights on weapons you have a ballistic advantage on a weapon of hundreds of yards and yet, uh, most polit most agencies put what's called a Streamlight TLR one on it, which is designed for a pistol. It is a great weapon for it's a great weapons light for a pistol. Should not belong on a rifle. Thing I tell people all the time is, pistol lights do not belong on rifles because you need to. What it does is it it actually hinders people. They don't realize this. It's great for like CQB or CQ whatever the whatever you want to call it for small stuff. But for most patrol officers, you have different varying lights what are called photonic barriers like different light levels everywhere right and different shadows that happen all over the place you have to have the ability of piercing through all of that to say i need to look at this right here and i have countless stories and experiences personally not even and that's outside of things i've seen in the training environment and of all the, the people i've trained anyway weapon lights need to be what they're designed to do that's one and a lot of that comes from agencies saying, well, this is only a hundred bucks. Well, you're now limiting their capabilities because you're taking a you're taking something and limiting their capabilities of seeing past around 40 yards. That's its 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 limitations is around 40 yards. And yet I respond on a domestic violence call and I'm stopping four houses up, five houses up, because hey, oh yeah, stop stopping two houses in front. Everybody's like two houses. No, we're getting ambushed responding to these things. Stop further up and walk a little bit further. Anyway, right. so therefore I am four or five. That's another one. Let's just let, let's just jump in that one real quick. I mean, I think people really need to, you know, employ the keep it a block down, keep it quiet, and walk up. You know, you should be turning your lights and sirens off a while before you're coming to coming to that call. I'm talking even if it's you're just down the street, you don't have to be running hot. You know, running hot is awesome and it's fun. We love doing it. But the whole purpose is to get traffic out of the way to get to this. If you can get there, say, I mean, you should be going as covert as you can because we have to by by 
the constitution, we have to be announcing ourselves by the time, by when we get there, it's like, take as much advantage as you can of approaching in a stealthy manner. So that way you're addressing and finding out what, what you're going to be walking into. So yeah, stop, cut lights and sirens off as fast as you can, as soon as you can try and have some sort of an approach that's going to allow you the most amount of time to take in what's happening around you. So, because I, I mean, Dennis, I mean, I'm at, I'm at eight is uh, I stopped counting at eight. Cause once I realized it was eight, I was like, that's enough for me. How many officers are ambushed either responding to a legit domestic violence? Cause they know we're coming. They know we're coming. So you're already at a disadvantage or we're being ambushed for, from calls for service that people know how to get us there. So they're going to mimic that call. Well, how do you tell the difference? Well, you don't. You can't tell the difference. There's no way because it's all based on the intel you're getting. So you stack like that whole dominating thing we're talking about. Stack the odds in your favor going up so that way you know what you're going to be. You are better aware of what you're walking into. And we talk about that in this class about how responding to using your vehicle to respond to stuff. And it's hard now, like we can talk a little bit about it. And I want to. It's just hard to talk now because there's visuals and I have a lot of uh, videos and stuff that we can show. We can't do that here, but the notion is stop running hot as fast as you can to hot calls because you should be having, you want to take that time to stack the odds in your favor and not letting people know where you're at. They know you're coming, but let them kind of guess where they're coming, when you're coming and where you're coming from. So, you know, I, I um, wanted to say one other thing that, you know, often you're referring to your 10 year career, 10 plus years. I had this theory, and I came up with it a long time ago. It's just me collecting data and making assessments of what I've seen in law enforcement field. I really firmly believe that there are different stages of a police officer's career, and this probably makes sense to a lot of people. I've had a lot of people agree with it, and it is my theory, and it's not based on any scientific data, just me collecting information around this career. And I believe somebody with intelligence and capabilities. Uh, you know, starting out in field training, you're day one, you're, you're a disease, you know, you're just, the whole thing is just a very overwhelming. Eh, I would say probably towards the end of your field training program, 12 weeks in, 10 weeks, eight weeks, whatever it may be, you're like, can cover some real basic, 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 basic stuff, barely can do anything. I think your three month mark, you're starting to catch on a little bit. I think at nine months, you're feeling a lot more confident. Nine months on the road, you start to feel a lot of confidence. You're starting to really pick up on things. I think it's three years, you can be pretty decent at this job. And I think for anybody who's really smart, it's seven years, you can be an, you can be an ace. I think seven years of good police work, I think you are probably creme de la creme and can probably conquer just about anything if you have that intelligence. So I think it's your five-year mark, three-year mark. These are all, I'm sorry, you know, these are all interesting times. I said three and then the seven. Five, you're like, you're like, you're feeling re- like, like almost getting that salty feeling at five, three, you're still eager. You're really getting, you're really licking this job. Good. You know, you still got some stuff to learn, but seven is like, that's so dude at 10, I'm sure you have more than enough qualifications to be a profound police officer. Anybody who's a hard charger with 10 solid years on the road. I mean, speaks volumes of who you are. I think seven is, is where it's at for somebody to be a real rock star cop. Seven years on the job is, where you hit that sweet spot. And the and great thing is it sounds like you haven't lost much of your eagerness or your desire to go out and do police work, even with 10 plus years in the job. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. My moral compass is now to, to be better. Um, I experienced a lot of, and I won't, you know, I won't mention names about them, but I, I, um, I talked with Adam with his uh, police podcast on this a lot. Is If I were to say, what is my legacy? He asked, what was my legacy? And I was like, just resilience because I've, Man, we might get into some deep stuff here. I don't know if you want to go down it, but in the last four or five months, I've had to take some pretty hard phone calls from people that I know that are great people. They're good men. I'm talking great men. And they're mentally struggling. struggling. And it's a lot of based on like, I don't have my purpose and stuff. So it's like my mental resilience to keep going is based a lot on we, we've got the power to, and influence to do good. And this platform is a great catalyst to help build people to say, not only like, do you matter? And I know it sounds real kumbaya, but it's like, not only do you matter, but there are people out there that you will influence that you will never see the fruits of your labor. 
because you don't get to see the fruits of how you influence that person and how you say it because you did your job professionally. You'll never get to see that. But you can take solace in the fact of, I did my job and I'm proud of it. So that way, if your number's called to the table, like mine was, I can stand on my own two feet and say, not only am I not going to kiss your ring, which is what I was asked to do, said, not only am I not going to kiss your ring, I, I'm, I've got to risk this and, because I know my team and my guys did everything right. Well, then, you know, whatever the outcome will be, whatever, you know, whoever's listening to this, whatever the outcome will be, you've got to be able to stand on that moral high ground of like, these are my lines in the sand. I thought it was one thing and then COVID hit. And now I started realizing it was other things. And I never would have thought that it came, but it did. And it was a surreal moment of like, is this really happening? I had never had any, I had a, anyway, so this goes into like a lot of personal things with my, with, with my history of like, and we don't have to go into that, but cause this, I'm, I'm telling you this about around what guides me and what drives me is I think I've got a good understanding of how all this stuff works. I think I've got a, I know I've got a, we've, we have a program that will help people make better decisions and be better cops at the same time be uh help them realize like there's a lot of negativity out there and there's other ways i know you did a lot you've talked a lot about suicide with cops lately and a lot of it is empowering them and saying hey all that bs that you're hearing it's not true you're better than it's that. not true it's not yeah it's not true it's better than that you're better than that and you, you find ways of of figuring it out and going from there. And the best thing I ever did was when I, I went and talked to somebody and they had, they made me realize a lot of my identity I had wrapped up into what these commanders and who these people were. And I'm like, they're like, why do you let them influence you like that? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, you like your personality doesn't fit how you're handling this. And they helped me realize I had locked my, identity into them because I wanted my career to be at that agency. And she was awesome, man. She helped me realize like, no, like, I think you're better than that. And I, and so I transferred to a different agency and it's been amazing. It was the best thing that I, I've mentally never been more happy than I have now. Cause I, I released, it's almost like it was a domestic violence situation where they were putting me down and I didn't realize it until I left and it kind of like the burden was lifted off my shoulders. And I'm like, how do I go? I leave that agency. Because remember, I was on a task force. So I had double duty. I go in the task force and I'm on uh, meetings with commanders and chiefs and sheriffs all over all over this area. And uh, I mean, large people in my, my opinion is valued. And I speak when spoken, you know, it's like, I'm a part of a good, a good program. And yet I go back to my agency and they say, sit down and shut up. I know. And so they were saying, why did you let them influence you? And it's like, I didn't have an answer for them until I realized I just had to let it go. And once I realized that I stopped letting them provide my identity, my identities in my family, it's in my God. And it's in me as a man and a person, it completely changed. And Heather and I've actually, Heather and I kind of talked a lot about this, man. She's awesome. Um, but we talked a little bit about this is just, I was able to just release a lot of that, what I was holding on to. So that's my moral code right now is like, I will do, I will wear myself to death to get that message out to these people, whoever it is. And this platform that you've built is it's, it's crazy how grassroots it is and yet how big it is now and the amount of influence that it has. And it's just, I'm just, I'm privileged to be a part of it and join the ride, you know, whatever I got to do to help and build the team up. So. Yeah, you know, when we say influence, I mean influence for the right reason. And and I certainly lose context of the size of what this has grown to. Uh that's that's a dentist problem because Dennis will never be satisfied. I'll be 86 and you'll be sitting around with me and you're gonna say, What's what do you got? And I'm gonna like, you know, like go play golf or something. I'm gonna go, no, 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 I'm working on this new thing. Gonna- <laughs> because I heard, yeah, like that's that's just who I am. So for me it's hard for me to acknowledge because I feel like I have so much work to do, but I know that's a trait that's common in people I think who are built like me. Um, but I, I appreciate you acknowledging that we've put work into it. Um, you know, I, for me, there's a lot of responsibility with it, but I'm glad that you spoke on leaving an agency and going to an agency and being happy with the decision because a lot of people are hung up on that. And I'm still trying to psychologically understand why 
people are willing to go and return to a place where they're being treated like shit or a relationship that's toxic, but don't leave. And it's not just in law enforcement. I see people doing this in their personal relationships. And I just don't think it's easier to stay. But people tell people tell themselves that. I think it's easier to leave, but people just don't. I, I wish I understood the psychology of like, I know humans don't want to change and there's a comfort. They're scared to change. Bro, I'm like, yo, I'm out. Like, fuck this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, dude, I'm just, I'm just so willing to pivot to continue to be happy in some sense. I don't run for my battles, but I've got a way into the account of, can I win a war even though I lose a battle? And if I can't win the war and the war is futile, well, then maybe it's time for me to go fight a different war. So for me, when I look at law enforcement, I may lose some battles here and there, and that's going to happen. There's no question about it. There's nothing I can do at times except do the best I can to win those battles. But the war is winnable. There's, and, and the price of being in this war is worth it. It just is because it's not about you or me. It's about human beings who deserve to have first responders and law enforcement professionals being capable, enthusiastic, and there for them when they need them the most. And if I can do anything to change that, I'm ready to lose some fucking battles. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a tactic called uh, sleight of hand. You can let your enemy think that they've won this battle, but they don't know that you're amassing forces over here. So therefore, they take solace and comfort. In all reality, what you're doing is you're setting them up for the kill. Just a That's all it is, a sleight of hand of, hey, like that's, I had somebody with that, um, one of my best friends tell me, he's like, you know, are you going after revenge or a lawsuit? Because I was told that I had absolute grounds for a, for a lawsuit. The problem is, is I'm a white male, so I don't, I'm not a protected class. Right. And say, well, that doesn't make sense, but sounds good. So there was a lot of like identity thing around this. And so I had one of my buddies say, you know, the best way to defeat them is to beat that, to beat them with success. And so I was like, you know what? That changed my perspective on it because I was like, yeah, I can let them think they won this battle, but in all reality, I'm going to win the war. And the war is over my soul. Like my, my, to me, the war is for me and those that I had that I'm around. I'm going to give you one more that uh, goes above that. Just who gives a fuck? <laughs> I don't ever put thought, <laughs> yeah. dude, like I don't put thought into like what my old agency or agencies before that think of me. I don't give, I don't put thought into when you can release all of that and just not give a fuck. I mean, dude, listen, it's, it was part of the Dennis Benino story of where I worked. And I tell people like I worked at Auntie Anne's pretzels when I was 14. I had a job, I had a supervisor there that I went on to work in other places. And then I had new supervisors. Your bosses are not my bosses. I was just, they're no different than my manager at Auntie Anne's pretzels. It was a part of my life and how you guys saw it versus how I saw it were two different things. It didn't, it didn't line up the way that I anticipated. I thought I'd be the guy who was 65. They were going to be shoving out the door. I got injured unexpectedly. Never thought I was going to have to leave. Was told I had to leave. Um, and there's a lot of emotions mixed in with going and experiencing something like that. But the reality is, is who gives a fuck? Who cares what, these, what they think? I have no interest. What I care about is the men and women who expect the men and women at Street Cop Training to show up every single day and try to make their lives better. And that's what I care about. I don't, I honestly, with all my heart, couldn't care less what anybody thinks about me. I just don't give a fuck because I know that I'm living my life morally correct and with the intention of helping other human beings. Uh, and I'm a human. I make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. But dude, that's the next level shit. Like you can kill them with success. We could just not give a fuck anymore. Like don't even fucking worry about what they're thinking about your friends, your family. I just don't care. And it takes practice to get there. As much as I care about everybody else and being selfless and, and employing all these things that I think make us great human beings, for everybody else, like I'm not fucking worried about what you're doing or what you're up to or what somebody said about me. I just don't, like people are like, hey, I was at this thing and this guy said some shit about you. And I'm like, I don't, like, yeah. thank you for telling me. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like I can't emphasize, emphasize that enough. I just don't give a fuck because they make no difference in my life on how I'm going to live. This is my life. This is Dennis Benino's life. That's it. It's nobody else's. 
I'm not living my life according to how you see it, how you think I should act, how you think I should behave. I've made my choices. I've made right, wrong decisions. There's nothing I can do except just live my life. And dude, I put my head on the pillow every night knowing that like, you know, I'm just a human being. I say things I shouldn't say sometimes. I do things I shouldn't do, but they're not intent. They're not with bad intention. Just it's how it is, dude. I'm human like everybody else. We all have fucking vices and, and, and that's where a lot of non-judgment comes from. I don't want you to judge me and just know that I don't judge you. I don't judge you. Right? I try to employ a lot of compassion. I don't judge anything that you've been through, decisions you've made. Try to figure out why and then have compassion from there. It's a very, very powerful thing to do. It's a great mentor thing. If you can find your people, if you can do that for the people that are underneath you or even that, that aren't underneath you, you know, a lot of these dudes are leaders that they don't even have the bars or the stripes to do, but they're still leaders. If they can learn to do that, they will set themselves up for success to help influence others. And we're talking about influence because we influence people whether we want to or not. We're not talking like the social media influencer of just like that kind of cliche thing that we have now in 2023. In this profession, we are very much influencers. We have influence on people. I mean, we have influence on everybody's life. So if they can if they can adapt to that, I think they will find themselves a lot more happy, a lot more content, a lot more successful. I'm really excited for what's going to, the big thing for me was going to be, how do I take, you know, street cops, um, by the way, your PowerPoint, that lesson that you did, you taught me on PowerPoints was, I wish I would have known that forever ago, how to address and how to change PowerPoints. It's just one of those, like, it's that moment of like, oh my gosh, that's so much more simple. And I like it even more. But my question was, is that you and I had a long time is how do you take a tactics class and draw it into a lecture? And what I'm excited for is that we found that happy medium of applying lecture base that's entertaining, that's knowledgeable, that provides that information, and then also ending it with the practicals of going outside and putting them through it. And then the big thing with this is going to be afterwards when they have access to all of this stuff afterwards of now they can go and how to set up trainings and scenarios and things they can do on the road. Or if they are, if with their squad, you know, how do you set this up and kind of run these little five minute sub drills of like figuring this stuff out? That's where I'm really excited to showcase all of that to uh, to the street cop family and to the street cop audience of addressing that because it's you know it's not it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just teaching you how to utilize what we've been doing and stop doing all the BS and simplifying it. Like I can tell you, the best thing law enforcement could do is simplify what they've done. They've created that big monster that is so much policies and procedures and tactics in every way, shape, or form. Everybody's got an opinion. And we get so caught up in our egos rather than saying, what's the end goal? The end goal is to protect the, to protect the public and property. If it doesn't do that, and if it's not simplifying that, then we don't need to do it. If it, it has to you know, buy by policies and procedures, but more importantly, the Constitution, if it checks that, then we should simplify it. And if it complicates it, then get rid of it. it it's right. Like you say, it's that simple. It's that simple. So, yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I'm excited to do, man. I was... When I made that, when I, I talked to you a long time ago about it, I was like, man, is that, is this really that going to be possible? And now it is, uh, looking forward to it. Actually booking my plane ticket to Jersey for, uh, August here this afternoon. So you have to, uh, give me the day. Just text me when you get your dates on that, because then we'll, we'll get together and do some shit. Yeah. I'll be out there. Um, I'll come out early and I'll talk to you offline about that stuff. Cause I want to definitely kind of take a tour and see everything out there and excited, man. Big deal. All right, brother. Hey, listen, I got to run. Appreciate you being here. Just tell Frankie we'll do this again. Yes, sir. Hey. All right, Chance Cooper. See you, buddy. Hey, guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.